So <clears throat> if you're a parent, your kids have probably done this to you. But especially my daughters, when they were little, we would take these walks up into Cathedral Hills behind our house. And as we're walking, we'd be holding hands and then my daughter would begin to lean out, right? And they'd kind of do this thing. And then I would have to lean out to kind of counteract them. And then we would walk that way as long as we could until my back gave out. Then I'd be like, ow, okay, we're done. And it was the tension in me leaning out and my daughter leaning out that gave us stability. And if either of us was to let go, then what would happen to both of us? We'd fall over. Tension sometimes actually gives stability. We're in a series right now, we're calling it Lines. And this one is simply on growing. And there's a tension in this that's been there for really 2,000 years when it comes to growing. And I think that tension, you have to keep it there or you lose something. So the question on growth is like, as a Christian, how do we mature? How are we changed? How are our minds renewed? How are we transformed into the image of the sun? Like, how does that happen? What's the process? What's the theology behind it? And if you're new here, this is going to be a bit thick. There's gonna be a lot of Bible in it because it's one of these things that there's a lot of tension. There's thousands of years of tension in it. And because of that, churches have different strategies when it comes to growth. And I realize that many of us are from different traditions and we have a tradition that says, this is how you grow as a believer. So I was trying to name some of them and show that there's just, there's a lot of different ways that people talk about growth, all right? So the first one I would say is certain churches say, here's how you go, grow as a Christian. You let go and you let God, right? So most of us have heard that. And what's behind that is that when we absolutely surrender ourselves to God, we're passive in the process. God does something to us. He moves on us. And in God, us passive God doing his work, we are changed somehow. Like almost a, a moment happens, a magic wand happens, right? And until that moment, hey, we'll be on the couch and God knows where we're at. So let go, let God. Now the polar opposite of that is what I call Nike churches. And they are just do it. And you go to that church and it's about spiritual disciplines. It's about hey, giving this amount of money. It's about making sure that you are serving in some capacity, memorizing the Bible, uh, going through these classes, going through creeds. It's just do it. And so it's the polar opposite. It's not uh, God doing everything. It's really you and I. It's up to us. We got to get out there and we have to do it. It's, it's primarily my job when it comes to growth, right? So that's the second one. Then there's, I just, it's the piety movement, kind of the pious Christian. And this was 400 years ago, was big. And it was based off of really Romans 7 and Romans 8. In Romans 7, it, Paul's talking about the struggle he went through. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The stuff that I do not want to do, I do do, right? It's a mess. Who is going to deliver me from this body of death? And then Romans 8 is the spirit-filled life. Walk after the spirit. 
So the piety movement was, you, you gotta struggle as a Christian. There's a, there's a period of struggle. Romans 7. But that erupts into Romans 8, let go and let God. So it's really a modification of that one. You'll struggle, you'll do all these kind of things, you'll realize this turmoil inside of us, and then finally you'll be set free and you'll begin to walk in the spirit and you'll grow in a really cool way, right? So that's that one. Then there's the monastic movement, been there for a long time. This monastic movement is this. If you and I can just get close enough to God, we'll forget about everything else. It's dwell, not do. You just have to dwell in his presence. You have to be just caught up in his majesty. And what happens in that moment is you forget about everything else. And so a lot of the monastic movement is you need a time where you're away from everything that distracts you, a wilderness time. So it's get away, get away from social media that's distracting you, get away from culture that's distracting you, get away from your toys, your business that's distracting you, get away from your job that's distracting you, get away from your wife that's distracting you, whatever you gotta get away from. And then go out, hug trees, and all of a sudden you're gonna be transformed, right? So that's kind of, and I, I'm not making fun of it, maybe I am, but um, it, it's kind of that, that's what happened. They would go out, Desert Fathers, they kinda, that's what they would do. So it's, it's dwell, don't do, just get so close to God that you forget. Then there's the soldier Christian. And they are this, it's, there's a demon for everything. So look out, you are under spiritual attack. You need to identify that spiritual attack and then you need to cast out the demon that's causing the problems in your life. And so some churches, that's what it's about. And everything is demonic, right? You're lazy. Well, you have the demon of laziness, let's cast that out. Now, personally, I just think laziness is a Matt Heverly problem, not the devil's problem. That's what Galatians 5.19 says. It's a work of the flesh. So uh, I totally agree there are spirits out there and they are no doubt dangerous and they're trying to steal and to kill and to destroy and you better know about them. But I think they take it too far because there's plenty of problems with just me, not demon problems, Matt Heverly problems I gotta deal with, all right? So then the sixth one, last one is, I call it white flag Christianity. And it's just, we surrender. We are depraved, terrible human beings and will never be right. So forget about it. You're not gonna be changed till you go to heaven. Which is just a very encouraging theology, I think. Like, oh, really? Right? And so th that's just six of, of probably a dozen. Which one of those is right? Should we take a poll? Where do you fit? Right? Is it, well, let's just kind of throw, throw them all out and see what happens and whatever one we like, like, you know, like how in the world do we decide how you grow? And when you boil all that down, here's really the question when it comes to growing as a Christian, what's God's part and what's my part? So you can take all those and they're really just trying to figure out that question. What's God's part? What's my part? And there's big questions that have been asked on this, God's sovereignty versus man's responsibility. There's tons and tons of names for it, right? Does, does, do I, does God start things and then do I take over? Like, right? There's all these ways of looking at it. So here's what I want to do. I wanna look at some of the Bible texts that I think help us in the tension. You see in the Bible verse itself, that tension. And then we're gonna talk about that tell you Edgewater's position on it, and then try to give you some practical, how do you walk this out? So here are the Bible texts. First one, 2 Peter 
chapter one, three through five. His divine power, God, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Sounds like let go and let God, doesn't it? Through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Do you see the tension just in those verses? God gave us all this stuff, awesome. Now get to work. What? All right, here's another one. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Sounds like naked Christians. Get out there and do it. But then it goes on. For it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What? How about this one? Hebrews 12, one through three. Therefore, everything prior, 11 chapters. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, you and me, believers, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. What? One more. 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. Huh? Does Jesus clean us up and make us partakers of the divine nature and give us everything we need for life and godliness? Or do we make every effort? Right? Are we 100% accepted by God or do we need a study to show ourselves approved? Unto God? Do we need to lay aside every sin and weight that so easily besets us and run with endurance the race set before us? Or is Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith? Do we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Or is it God that works in us both the will and work of his good pleasure? Which one is it? Yes, right? It's tension. It's tension. That's why churches have so many different strategies. Right? They're based in scripture, no doubt about it. And there's been this age old debate, right? It's monergism, just God. Synergism, partnership. Is it belonging or is it becoming? Is it God alone or do we partner? Is he sovereign or are we responsible, right? There's all these terms and they have a long history. The best terms and the terms that I want us to know, the things that I think are actual biblical terms are these two terms for it, justification and sanctification. So I think those two terms cover all the other terms and they're more of a biblical term. So I wanna define 
justification and to define sanctification. And if you keep these two in tension, I think you have a healthy Christianity. So let's look at justification. Justification is number one, accepted. Ephesians 1, 6, you are accepted in the beloved. Number two, it's instantaneous. The moment you believe in Jesus, you are justified. Acts 16, 31, 2 Corinthians 6, 2. It's by grace through faith. You are justified by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Justification is identical for all of us. We get it the same way. John 14, verse 6. It's about belonging, that you are a thrice holy son or daughter of King Jesus. That's justification. It's a free gift of Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse 16, Romans 6, 23. And then lastly, justification is internal. You're given a new heart and a new spirit, Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. So that's justification. Now, sanctification is different. Here's what sanctification is. Number one, sanctification is approval. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God. Number two, it's a process. Doesn't happen instantaneously. It's a process. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It takes effort. 2 Peter 1.5, we read that scripture. It's tailor fit. Philippians 2.13, work out your own salvation, not your spouses, not your children's, not your neighbors. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's tailor fit. It's about becoming, becoming holy, becoming conformed to the image of the Son, Romans 8.29. It's a partnership Revelation 22, 14 and 15. Matthew 25, 14 through 27. It's the parable of the talents. I got tons of these. 1 Corinthians 3, 6. Romans 12, 2. It's partnership with Jesus. And then lastly, it's outward, seen in good works. Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the spirit. Jesus says this in John 13. He says, how shall all men know you are my disciples? By your love one for another. It's going to be an outward look, right? So that's sanctification. I have both of them just put side by side. So there they are. Acceptance versus approval, instant versus process, by grace versus effort, identical versus tailor fit, belonging, becoming, free gift, partnership, internal outside. And there's a tension in that and you got to keep it. And I realize that some here have come out of reformed or Calvinistic. And whenever you talk about effort, uh-oh, it's like red flag. You're taking us back to the dark ages. Let me quote for you Calvin, and you can look this up. This is his commentary on 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, which talks about effort. This is what he says, John Calvin. Quote, as it is an arduous work and of immense labor. What did he just say right there? You're working. To put off the corruption which is in us, he bids us to strive 
and to make every effort for this purpose. He intimates that no place is to be given, in this case, to sloth, and that we ought to obey God calling us, not slowly or carelessly, but that there is a need of alacrity, as though he had said, put forth every effort and make your exertions manifest to all. That's John Calvin. You're gonna have to work, right? Justification versus sanctification. And I think we have examples from life that tell us, hmm, justification and sanctification, right? Marriage. I think there's justification and sanctification in marriage. So when husbands, you stood up at that altar and you were asked, do you take this woman to be your wife? And you said, I do. You are married in that moment, instantaneous. You are married, right? Was that it? You're like, okay, we're done. Good. All right. Checked it off the list. We're married. All right. I'm out. No. Then began the process, the effort. You had to work out your marriage often with fear and trembling, right? That's what came next. Sanctification. Moment in time, no doubt, but it instituted or, or got the ball rolling on what would be a life of learning and effort in order to make marriage right. Okay, having kids. There's an instantaneous moment where that child is conceived, right? Husband and wife. Hope I don't have to explain this to you. I have five kids. I'll do it. I've done it plenty. I don't embarrass easily, right? It's instantaneous. Is that it? Okay. Moms, was that it? No way, right? Then becomes sanctification, a process where your body is treated like silly putty, just stretched and, right? You're like, what in the world happened to my feet? When did I get hobbit feet? What happened to me? Like the only good news is you have a belly and you can't see them, right? Your appetite is that of a death row inmate. Like, I want to eat everything. You don't go to restaurants anymore. You go to the food court because you're just not sure what you want to eat. So it's lots of choices. And then it culminates in labor. Brutal. Talk about make every effort. Labor is make every effort. My wife is my hero. Five kids, all natural. Myron, 10 pounds, six ounces. Make every effort. <laughs> ah, right? Like when she didn't want anything for the first, I went through the first, I was just like, ah! We go to the second, the doctor's like, do you want an epidural? No, I'm good. I'm like, I will take it. <laughs> Give me drugs, because I was here last time. I'd had one kid and that'd be it. Probably hate the kid, like you. Look what you did to me. Are you both right there? So here's Edgewater's line on this. Justification is 100% an act of God. His spirit draws, his spirit saves. You are justified freely as a gift from Jesus Christ, 100% God. Sanctification is a partnership where all these kind of tensions come together, where we use our talents. God gives us one talent and we use it and we get another one, right? It's all these terms. We respond to his grace. God puts something on our heart and we respond. Ah, oh, yes, okay. Let's make every effort. 
It's get together. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It's pedals on a bicycle. God initiates, we respond. And that's how we move forward, right? So every day, God says this to the believer, good job. Mercy's brand new every morning. Good job, let's go. That's what God does for us. And God is easily pleased, but never satisfied because he wants you and me to become the kind of people whose character echoes out into eternity and it matters what you do right now. And he wants to conform us to the image of the son. So he invites us into that every single day. Good job, yesterday's gone. Good job, let's go, let's go, okay? It's brilliant. And if I had the time, which I don't today, I would tell you how important that is, that those two sides they found in children are such necessity. They need to, number one, know they belong, justification. You're accepted, you're part of this family. You can't be more my son. You can't be more my daughter than you ever are, right? Good job, son. You gotta know that, that you belong. But every child also needs this. They need to be becoming something. It's why every kid growing up, what do we ask them? What do you want to be when you grow up? Do you ever have a kid say, I don't know. They all have an idea, right? I wanna be a fireman. I wanna be a policeman. I wanna be an astronaut, whatever it is, right? Because every one of us has this deep desire to also become. And our heavenly father knows it's that tension. You belong to me. You can't be more my son, more my daughter. Now let's go, become something. It's the whole self-help movement, right? Book after book after book written to hit that innate need in all of us. Become, move, grow, develop, okay? But I don't have time for that. So instead, I wanna get practical. Okay, how do I do that? So I just use the words, it's all about the fit. If you're going to be sanctified in this tension, in this partnership, it's all about the fit. And so number one is this, you can't throw fits. Here's what I mean. Who here has heard of Ned Flanders? Raise your hand. Wow, Simpsons, not very popular. Ned Flanders is on the Simpsons and Ned Flanders is Hollywood's caricature of Christians. And whenever I see those things, I have to first ask, do Christians deserve that? Right? That's what you gotta ask. Have we earned that badge? Is it fair? So here's what Ned Flanders is. There's this scene with Homer, who's his neighbor, and Homer is talking to Ned Flanders, and he says, hey, I haven't seen you around a while, Ned. Where have you been? And Ned replies, oh, I've been away at a Christian retreat learning to be more judgmental. <laughs> yeah, crack me up. Do we deserve that? We gotta ask that, okay? That's the caricature. Is it true? Are we just mental? Right? Imagine a church like this. Not this church, another church. Where there is a guy, yeah. <laughs> There's a guy sitting front row. He's Ned Flanders. And he is there. He's got it. He looks it. He's got the shirt on. N-O, Jesus. N-O, peace. K-N-O-W, Jesus. K-N-O-W right? He's got that on. He's got the King James Version Bible, leather edition, Holy Spirit filled one, because that's the way God speaks today. 
He's got the what would Jesus do necklace on. He's got the voice of the martyrs barbed wire bracelet on because those that are oppressed in their faith. He's got a flaming descending dove on his forearm, which he raises all the time, just hallelujah, right? It's Pentecost, it's coming. He's got it. He's got four different highlighter pens. He's got a journal. He is listening to the message and he's like, oh, I know this, man. I memorized that book of the Bible. He's got it, uber believer. But the church begins to stir because at that same time, there's a guy in the back who's groaning back there. And so Ned Flanner's up in front, just like, who is disturbing this holy moment? And he looks back and there's a guy in the back row. He's got a hat on in church. Oh, no hats in church. On top of that, he is wearing this dirty Ozzy Osbourne concert tee. Right? Looks like he came straight from the bar. He probably smells like beef jerky, beer, and smoke. Oh, man. And he's just back there sobbing, disturbing church. And so Ned Flanders just turns and bows his head and begins to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that I am awesome. Thank you that I'm not like that Aussie t-shirt wearing bum in the back row. Thank you that I tithe and I fast. Thank you that I don't go to bars. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew. I don't go with girls that do. Thank you, God, that I am awesome. Amen. At that same moment, the guy in the back just cries out, sobbing, he says, Heavenly Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. Which one of those men pleased God? You don't have to guess, because that story's in the Bible. It's Luke 18. I just brought it from 32 AD to 2022. And it's the dude that in humility realized he was broken. Listen, who was the big group that Jesus constantly had problems with? The uber believers, they were called Pharisees 2000 years ago. Why? Because they were constantly throwing fits. You ate with unwashed hands. The referees throwing just flags left and right. You healed somebody on the Sabbath, flag, right? Constant problem, why? Here's why. They looked at the Bible. They looked at growth. They looked at everything that they learned, not about personal transformation into the image of Jesus Christ. They looked at it all as an opportunity to measure themselves against other people and to control them. That's what they looked at it. And we have to be very careful that when we begin to grow in our faith, that we don't then say, ha, thank God I'm not like that loser. What? Huh? You missed it. That's not it, right? It's not so that you can throw fits. It's not to measure yourself against other people. It's not so that you can put them down. Listen, the goal is so that you love your neighbor as yourself. That's the goal. And too often people that know the Bible really well can become really prickly and really hard to be around because they're constantly throwing flags and blowing their whistles. You're just like, oh, I'm so tired of that. No, it's choosing peace over anxiety. It's choosing love over hate. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. It's loving God with your whole heart. That's the goal. So we gotta be very careful that as we grow in our faith, we don't become the Ned Flanders. We don't become the Pharisees, we start throwing fits. That's number one. Number two is, you gotta get fit. 
When a man wants to get in shape, what does he do? He goes to the gym, right? So you hit 40 or you hit 50, I just hit 50. And all of a sudden you're like, man, I gotta get in shape. So you haven't been to the gym since high school and you're 50 years old and you head to the gym and it's like, what do you do? Everything. It's go crazy on the bench press, go crazy on the curls, go crazy on the squats, hit the abysizer, hit the lap pulls, jump on the treadmill, you're doing it all. And then how do you feel after you're done? Right, you know people like that? If you're sitting there right now saying, I don't know anyone like that. Yes, you do. It's me. That's what I did. So about a month ago, my son Elijah had this game, a football game up in Eugene. And it was a late game on Friday night. So I called my wife's uncle, John, and Aunt Jan, and I said, hey, can I just, can my son and I, can we shack up at your house tonight? He's like, yeah, that'd be awesome. So I went over there, love him, coached for the Ducks for a long time, just fantastic human being, right? The Ducks did not pollute him. He's still fantastic, right? Love him. So uh, yeah, we, we go back and forth. I'm a, I'm a beaver, he's a duck, but it's okay. There is an ability to get along. It's proven when I go up there, right? Just, he's awesome. So we were ch- talking, talking. Next morning we got up, we had coffee, we're chatting. He's like, huh, I'm about ready to go to CrossFit. I'm like, I'll go with you. I don't j- work out. That's not what I do. I do lots of other things. I'm a very active kind of person. I don't go to the gym though. So I'm like, yeah, man, I'll go with you. He's like, are you sure? Ah, oh, I can totally handle it. Totally, man. So I get my shorts on, I get my t-shirt on and I go to the gym with him. We go and there is a gal. It's like eight to 10 uh, or it's 10, to, 10 minutes to eight. And there's this gal and she's in charge of it, I guess. She's doing the workout of the day. And she was huge. She's just like, mm. I'm like, oh, I feel really tiny right now, right? And she's just like, this is what we're doing. I'm like, oh, okay, yes, we are. I started calling her the terrorist. Oh, I, I called her uh, Osama bin Lifton. Okay, Osama bin Lifton. All right, you go. <laughs> so you start out with Bavarian squats. The only thing I ever heard from Bavaria was Bavarian donuts, which are really good, and BMWs, which are really good. Bavarian squats are not really good. They are torture. Like you were torturing me. And then you did those. Right after you did that, you got on this rope and you climbed this rope and you touched the ceiling. I'm like, are you serious? This is like from middle school. Really? Okay, there we go. So you gotta climb up this rope, touch the ceiling and climb back down, right? If I thought, okay, we're done. Oh no. That was warm up. I'm like, really? Warm up? We had to jump rope. I have not jump rope since, I don't know, I was 10. You know what's very hard for a 15-year-old man to do? I can't jump rope, right? So everybody in the class is doing the same thing. I would get like two or three jumps and then it would get all tangled in my feet. And everyone's just like, I'm like, they're all like Rocky Balboa except for me. And then it was jump on this box over and over and over and over. And then you cycle through this over and over and over again. And then you finish it off with deadlifts. Great name for it. Call CSI. I was dead. I'm done. I hurt for like five, six weeks after that. Brutal. Now why? Because I didn't work up to it. People, I think sometimes, they want to grow in their faith. And so all of a sudden, they just jump in and they go crazy. 
I want to study the Bible. So I'm going to read the whole Bible today. Okay, good luck with that. Right? I had a buddy who was like, I want to learn to pray. So we went on this prayer retreat. I said, how was it? He goes, it was the worst. They prayed for like 16 hours a day. Bro, it's a prayer retreat. That's what they do. You probably should have worked up to it. Right? So in this, it's get fit. I had this young man come up to me, Lance. He goes to church here. And he said, Matt, I want to know how to pray. How do I pray? And I don't know why I did this, but I said, Lance, he's 18. If you wanted to learn to become an Olympic ski jumper, what should you do? Should you go grab a pair of skis? You know, those guys, they go on the quarter mile ramp and they fly like 832 feet through the air. I said, should you grab some skis and head up that ramp and just take off? No, you're dead. You'll snap your neck. What should you do? Go skiing. Start out by skiing. Hit little jumps. Get bigger jumps. Start to work up to it. And then go up the quarter mile ramp and jump 832 feet. It's the same way with growth. I think sometimes we try to overdo it and we go crazy and then it doesn't work out the way we thought it should work out. I went on a prayer retreat. I don't think I'm a prayer, man. Yeah, 16 hours a day. I can't pray that much, right? It's work up to it. It's get fit. So this winter sometime, probably February, we're gonna do the holy habits. And we did these about 12, 13 years ago. I don't know what it was, but we're gonna do them again. Like these are the tools that have been given to us to grow our faith, Bible reading, Bible study, memorization of scripture, Sabbath, celebration, Thanksgiving, right? Fasting, all these things are tools that God has given to us that we can use to grow. But, but final one, it has to fit. It has to fit. This is my big God idea. You guys remember the soup Nazi? Real restaurant in New York City, real restaurant. Parodied in all kinds of comedies because it was so insane. Because here's what he would do. You had to follow a protocol perfectly in order to get your soup, right? It was number one, you get in line. Number two, you keep the line moving. Number three, you hold out your money. Number four, you speak your soup clearly and then move out of the way. Number four, number five, you receive your soup, no compliments, no embellishments, no changes. And if you didn't follow the protocol, what would happen to you? No soup for you. I think sometimes we see God like that. That God's like this soup Nazi who's, you make sure and you do everything exactly this way or else no soup for you. And what can happen is when we see God that way, our faith becomes very, very weary. And I know about this. So when I engaged my faith in college, Jesus, just not my savior, he's my king. I got involved with a group called Campus Crusades for Christ. And I've got nothing against them, but they're a very system kind of ministry. You wanna share your faith? We learn the four spiritual laws. Here's how you do it. You want to grow in your faith? You have devotions. And this is what they told me. Read your Bible for 30 minutes in the morning. Pray for 20 minutes. And journal for one page. And I'm new and I'm like, okay, great. Let's do this. So I'd read my Bible. I would pray. And then I would journal. 
Well, here's what happened to me. I started to resent that time. I was like, oh, I would like to be doing anything but this right now. But I guess this is the procedure I've got to check off to make God happy and get him off my back so my day works out okay. All right, I'll do it. Uh, read, 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 read. And then I'm praying, right? I'm praying, 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 praying. I'm like, only three minutes have gone by. Man, pray, 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 pray. Only a 30 seconds. Ah, oh, right? And then journaling became like, very, 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 very good day. Okay, got a whole page in. And I thought, God's happy with me. I'm not happy. I'm miserable, but as long as God's happy and he's off my back, we're good. Is that what God wants? Like all the little boxes down? No, no. Here's the problem. My goal was no longer God. My goal was check off all the boxes. So Wednesday night, when I went to Cabinet's Crusade for Christ meetings, and we met in our small group, and they went around the circle, and they asked, hey, how are you doing in your personal devotions? When it came to me, I'm killing it, man. I did it all week long. That was my goal. It was no longer God. I was more interested in the tool than the treasure. And that can happen very quick. And when that happens in the human heart, you will become miserable you will begin to miss it, right? So now, when young people ask me, how do I have devotions? This is the number one question I ask them. I say, what enlivens you to Christ? What when you're doing it, when you're about it, what makes you just say, ah, oh, I love that? Chariots of fire. When I run, I feel God's pleasure. Right? Something in that, right, with Eric Liddell, just it, when I run, it, God created me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. That's it. So yes, there's ingredients in that. And we'll talk about that when we do our series. But man, it's got to get back to, I, I don't want to focus on the tool. I want to focus on the treasure. What's causing my heart to be captured by God. And so for me now, it's this. This is what I love. I get up at 530 I try to find a quiet spot, wherever it is. I make a cup of tea, black tea or green tea. No cream, no sugar. You need it bitter at 5.30 in the morning, right? And I get my Bible. And I'm reading through the Bible right now. I just finished Ezra yesterday. I'm in Nehemiah now. And I'll read some of that or I'll kind of go back and forth on this or I'll grab a Psalm, just one Psalm. And I do it really slowly. Take each line and I actually will pray about what that line is saying. Pray about the things that come up. Kind of a dialogue way of doing Psalms instead. And it's so rich for me. I love it. Okay. Now here's the problem. It's when I make my system normative for everybody in here, right? So somebody comes to me and says, hey, Matt, I want to do devotions. How do I do them? And I say, well, what are you doing right now? Well, I get up at 530. Check. Um, I find a quiet place. Check. Um, I get some tea. Check. I put some cream and sugar in it. You heretic. God will never speak to you. You drink tea just like he made it. You think you're better than the creator? Come on. Get rid of the cream and sugar and God will meet you right there. And yet, don't we do that? Don't we always try to make our way normative? But the Bible says, work out your own salvation 
with fear and trembling. Yes, we learn from people. Yes, we, no doubt. But at the end of the day, it's what helps me get to the treasure? What helps me treasure Christ more? That's it. So there's a book by Gary Thomas called Sacred Pathways. And it was just eye-opening to me. Because in Sacred Pathways, what, what he does is he says, he recognizes 10 different kinds of ways of pursuing God in the Bible. Some with the intellect, some people with activity, service, some people with um, caregiving, right? Just 10 different kinds. Is one better than the other? No. It's you are fearfully and wonderfully made. All right. Okay. Like one of the watershed verses in the Bible for me that changed me was this. I was reading Genesis and in Genesis 21, it talks about Abraham. Abraham is the only man in the Old Testament who's called the friend of God. Actual relationship. And it says this, end of chapter 21. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree and worshiped God. What? He plants a tree and that's how he worships God? Yeah, by gardening, right? Why? Because that's what God does. He's big. What enlivens you to him? So the one question I would ask of you for this week is take some time and sit down and pray. What, when I do it, causes me to treasure Jesus more? What, when I do it, causes my spirit to leap and to enjoy him? Well, maybe that's how God designed you. Maybe start looking into that. No doubt prayer and the Bible are always ingredients in that. Matthew chapter four, four, Jesus studied the Bible. But how do I make this? How do I make this personal? How do I work out my salvation with fear and trembling? How does this fit me? And it's always gonna be a partnership in that, right? And so we end in communion. And before COVID, if you notice this, we did communion differently. And here's why we did it differently. You can sit here and you can not sing a single song if you don't want to, right? You can just sit there if you want, arms crossed. I cross my arms, it's not a bad thing. You can, during the sermon, you could be like, nah, I don't agree with any of that. And you're passive in all of that. But guess what you have to do with communion? Partnership, right? The term is called embodied remembrance. You can't be passive when it comes to communion. So we did communion where we put communion on tables all over here, and then you had to get up and you had to kind of make your way and you had to physically get up and participate embodying the remembrance, go and get the elements yourself, figure out how to get back to your seat and sit down. And I love that because you're responding now. You're embodying the remembrance. You're realizing this is a partnership. You're realizing, hey, it's not just all God, it's not me, we're two pedals on a bicycle. God probes and God gives me grace and then I respond to him and that's how I move forward. So I love that effort it took. And then I realized opening these takes a lot of effort too, so maybe we still have it. <laughs> and the very act of communion to me is justification and sanctification, right? Eat, not be cleansed first and get yourself all right first. No, 
eat freely. I will come into dirty tools and make them holy by my power, no doubt. That's step one. So Jesus today, we're so grateful that we are saved by grace through faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift. So this morning, Lord, we receive again the gift of justification that we are accepted in the beloved. Let's eat together. And I'm so grateful that you saved me to change me, to work things out, to transform me. I pray for each of us as we drink of the cleansing flow. I pray even today, Lord, weights, sins will be set aside and we'd fix our eyes upon you, the author and perfecter of faith. So cleanse us. Let's drink together. Amen. So we'll sing one more song. If you need prayer, people will be up in front here. They'd love to pray for you. Nothing too big, nothing too small. We have baptisms we offer every Sunday. Eli, right over there, if you have a question on what it means to be baptized at Edgewater, making Jesus your king, talk with Eli, and then we'll baptize you. Would you stand for this final song?